Hello and welcome to the second season of All I Know. My name is Jen Winkleman and I'm your host for this time where we gather together as if we're around a little campfire and we're there to listen as everyday people tell us some of their stories. Here at this show, we believe that behind every single face, there are stories. And in every story, there are lessons for life that are waiting to be learned by the rest of us. So today, our guest and I will have a largely unscripted conversation, aside from the anchor questions that we use to get into our interviews. And then as our guest story unfolds, if you and I choose to do so, we can catch the truth and knowledge and wisdom that's being shared with us like little fireflies in a jar and then use that as light for our own paths in life. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Welcome, everybody. We're glad to have you with us for another episode. And our guest today is Andrea. Andrea, welcome to All I Know. Thank you, Jen. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. So we're going to just jump right into those anchor questions that we use. And the first one is, who are you? What do our listeners need to know about who you are to make the most of the conversation that we're going to have? That's a great question. I love that question. Uh, I love to ask other people. <laughs> <laughs> it's always easier to ask. Than yes, answer. it is. And, uh, you know, sometimes like in job interviews, you know, they'll say, tell me three things, you know, give me three words. And I just, I just don't think three words is enough to sum up a human. So I give people five words. <laughs> what are your five? Resilient inquisitive, kind, um, sassy and sexy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I love it. (laughs) The last person I said that to, they're like, okay, then just put it out there. (laughs) In a job interview. Do you use that? No, no, I've never said that in a job interview. No. (laughs) Okay. Well, that was the way it was teed up. And so I was like, wow, I love the confidence. I guess it would depend on the job. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so on the spectrum between ordinary and extraordinary, where would you plot your life? Yeah, I think of my life as rather ordinary, personally. You know, everybody has trials and tribulations. Everybody has joys. Hopefully. Yeah, uh, right. Gosh, especially in these days we're living in right now. Exactly. The height of coronavirus. So you hope everybody has joys. You know, everybody has joys. Everybody has pains. Everybody has times when they move forward and times that are pushing back against them. So in that respect, I think I'm completely ordinary. You know, whether someone else perceives something to be extraordinary um, is just that. It's the lens that they're looking through when you're talking and telling a story. Some people may find something interesting and some other people may say, yeah, I've heard that story before. What's your definition of success? My definition of success um, has evolved, thank God. 
Um, my definition of success now is being content, being happy in the moment or in general, it could be with the person you're talking to or the meal that you're eating or the job that you're in or the choice that you made to stop doing something, you know, it goes along with not competing against other people, not comparing yourself against other people, but comparing yourself to your own yardsticks, if you will, along the way. Yeah. I, in the time that I've known you, I actually think that's a really profound strength that you have. And I wish I could communicate that to the listeners in an appropriate way. Um, and I guess the best I can do with it right now is I feel like you are extraordinarily good at being in the present. You might be better at that than most people that I know in just being in the moment and kind of sucking the marrow out of whatever (laughs) that moment is. Hey, as long as I'm not sucking the life out of something, (laughs) just the marrow, just the marrow. Uh, That took a long time to get there though. You know, I, yeah, I can remember, you know, being much younger and especially where relationships were concerned, you know, you could get stuck in, in the past and the past should just be a tutor, really. (laughs) That's how I look at it now. Mm -hmm. The past is, is your tutor, your teacher. And if you're learning from it and growing, then you, you will use it in a positive way to, to keep what was good and, and expand on that and to move past and get rid of what worked against you, mm-hmm. which, you know, whether that be something that uh, you were bringing upon yourself because you were repeating, you know, bad habits, you were stuck in a cycle or something. Or um, you're you discovered something that you're good at or that you like, and you and you literally have to make a mental note that oh, I'm going to try to do that more. You know, some like it, it's been a trend for several years now. Practicing gratefulness is a really good example. Yeah, and I think I said to you not long ago, um, as difficult as the pandemic situation has been and, and, um, for a lot of people, you know, the mental health issues, the loneliness, um, job loss, whatever it might be, all things considered, I'm very grateful that things are as good as they are. All things considered. All things considered. Yeah. 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 That final anchor question has to do with what three events circumstances or experiences would you identify in your life that you think have most shaped who you are? And then after we've heard those in broad brushstrokes, let's choose one to talk more in depth about. Broad categories, um, sex and death and the accident. (laughs) So when I say sex, I'm, you know, I'm not talking about the act of sex, although within my lifetime, 
yes, very influential. Um, I mean that in the broad sense of being born female and things I experienced as a female, including as a child. That much later in life when I had to explore why am I who I am, you know, being being born a girl, being born female, the female sex very much played into that. And things that were said and done to me um, my entire lifetime. Because of being female? Because of being female. And if I really started getting deep into the subject, it would it would um, also involve, you know, the power structures of males versus females. It, to me, the to influence me, of a patriarchal society, is that part of what you're... Well, uh, I don't want to sound like some crazed feminist, and I'm, I would probably, I'm about to make some feminists angry. <laughs> I'm, I would, I don't consider myself a feminist. So uh, I hate to, to, it's become a catchword, you know, the whole patriarchal, the patriarchy, you know, yep. it, it's, it's thrown out there so much. Does, does what I'm talking about, does, is that part of it? Yes. And someone's going to hear it and that's the word they want to use and whatever connotations they want to attach to that that's their choice I have no control over that I do think it's an extremely interesting subject as a female and I think it's you know it's something that I'm sure your listeners could identify with if many of them are female if that's where we go I I don't want people to, during the conversation, think that I'm male bashing because, as you well know, Hmm. I love men. (laughs) (laughs) But there are things to, I think there are things to be learned uh, between the sexes. And if, if we just continue avoiding each other or setting up this, Um, adversarial situation that I feel society's got going right now, or I shouldn't say society, a good portion of society has set up this adversarial position. Um, I think it could take us another full generation, probably two, to cycle back around. So that's, that's one subject. (laughs) Yeah. So feel free to push back on this question because Mm -hmm. I, especially if this isn't a subject that you want to go deeper into, I don't, I don't want to push on it too hard, but I'm thinking about our listeners and just kind of rewinding to the very beginning of what you said about being born female and things that have been said and done Mm -hmm. to you because you're female. Can you, especially since it's not so much about living in a patriarchal society, air quotes. Mm -hmm. Can you flesh out a little bit what you mean when you say that, things that have been done and said, if it's not about that catchword of the patriarchy? 
Um, I, I mean, part of it is patriarchal. My father was much older than my mother. And he, in fact, he, he was born in 1925. So he was a child during the Depression. And, you know, however he grew up, which he didn't talk a lot about because the societal norms then is men didn't share their feelings. You sucked it up, you know. Mm-hmm. So some big generational differences probably between him and your mother. Generational differences between he and my mother. And then, of course, imagine then you're bringing up these children in a society that's foreign to you. And I imagine it's very much like what a lot of parents have experienced like within the last generation and will experience more so with with each burgeoning technology that they don't understand, you know. And what is almost makes us like unable to be fluent with each other because we speak different languages. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what that is. And uh, so there's, so there's some context for people. Um, It's patriarchal in that sense, because yes, my father was from that time or, or a time period when, you know, we can definitively say Men didn't share their feelings and, you know, children were meant to be seen and not heard. And um, one of his favorite sayings was, stop that caterwaul and I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) I remember hearing that too. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was that kind of thing. So my father had two families. He he had um, his first wife. And he had three children with that family. And later with my mother had four children. And I'm the oldest of that group. And within each of the groups, there was one boy. So in my sibling set, my direct sibling set, mm-hmm. rather than my half siblings, it you know it what we girls were made to feel and the actions showed from my perspective that the boy was most important and i don't think that's unusual in many cultures many many cultures that the males were more important uh females were property is one word they were weak and you know to be protected and um and and then if we take it to a different extreme it's like don't teach them too much <laughs> and that still happens in some cultures you know you're born female and there are still societies where you have to fight just to get an education but we won't go there into all the super politics so that's the first thing being born female and you're not you're just not good enough right off the bat I think that helps a lot. Thank you for sort of adding in um, those additional thoughts about your family of origin and some of that context, because I think it makes it makes it make a lot more sense. That idea of things that were said and done to me simply because I was female. There's um, what the picture I'm sort of coming away from that first piece with is I was kind of born as a second class citizen in my own family. And 
have fought against that for the course of my life. And that's what I mean when I say I was born female and things were done and said to me because of being female. Yes. And and I hope that listeners can hear it's an acknowledgement of a reality rather than uh, anger, shall we say, some sort of driven anger. It's not like there's bitterness that you carry about that. Well, again, that was something that had to evolve. You know, when I was much younger, I, I'm trying to think, was I resentful of my brother? There were times that I was resentful of my brother. For example, he played football from to the time peewee football. But even though I was much older than him and, and the next sister down was as well, we had to go to his peewee football practices and um, so that we weren't bored out of our minds, not cheerleader material, but they had um, a drill team. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we ended up joining that. But then this continued on as we got uh, older, then we would do things like we, you know, we would attend the football games and we would um, work the concession stand. Now, had we been given our druthers, as they say, we wouldn't have gone to the football games. I didn't care about his football games. You know? <laughs> yeah. So you weren't there as a gesture of support for your sibling and no. you weren't there because selling concessions was something you were interested in or the drill team was something you wanted to do. It was right. all sort of secondary to this is what you're doing because your brother is doing this. It was a default. Because we're going, yes, we're going as a family to these uh, football events, whether it be practices or this, that, or the other. So the reason I, I brought up the other brother and this, you'll be able to connect the dots. He would come and stay with us uh, sometimes, you know, to visit his father. This is your yeah. half brother now. This is my half brother. Who, yes. is, who is from the other sibling set older than okay. all four of you. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. So um, he... I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the best way to approach this and the, and there just really isn't any good way. But I hope some listener identifies. In fact, I'm sure that there will be someone because there's such a high prevalence of this happening within families. He was grooming me. So I have memories of that. So that's part of what I'm saying was said and done to me. So without going into all the details, I mean, again, practicing gratefulness, when I think back on it, I'm blessed that it did not go further than it did. But the reason it comes to mind and the reason that I did investigate it as an adult woman was that I realized that the relationship with my father had affected my uh, reaction, shall we say, uh, my submission, submission, that's the word. Mm-hmm. When these uh, attempts were made, and it very clearly clicked with me one day 
that that was my clearest recognition of the beginning of negotiating with men. Now, I may, wow. have, done it, I may have done it as a child with my father, you know, when I wanted something <laughs> from him, right. you know, candy or whatever. But what I mean by negotiating in this instance was negotiating to, um, in the first sense, to be pleasing. So there was, uh, okay, I'll do this, but I won't do that in a sense of trying to be pleasing. To be enough. To be enough without having to do things I didn't want to do, even though really as a child, you're not feeling good about this and you're, you're not wanting to do any of it. But mm-hmm. if you're like, okay, well, if I, you know, if I do this, he'll be happy and don't have to do anything else kind of situation. So again, get back to gratitude. I was blessed that on the one occasion that could have really taken it all the way to full, fully sexual abuse. Uh, as far as uh, when I, when I say that, I want to be clear what I mean by that is it would have involved intercourse. I'm sure that's where it was heading, but I must have angels that watch over me because mm-hmm. My mom knocked on my door at a very critical time. (laughs) And of course, he's having to scramble to pull his pants up. (laughs) And I'm trying to answer the door. And of course, my mom, you know, here's a 15-year-old boy in a locked room with a little girl, Mm -hmm. his younger half-sibling. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a lot that went down after that. And uh, again, as an adult female, uh, looking back on that and gosh, thinking so many things like, why didn't I just say no? Why didn't I try to escape from the room? Why didn't I run straight to my parents? Why, you know, all these kinds of uh, self-blaming sorts of things. So many survivors ask those same questions. I know you know that. So the more that I reflected on it, I mean, I never felt, I know a lot of um, survivors feel um, shame and self-loathing and blame themselves. And I didn't, I didn't. Now, had it gone further, would I? I don't know. The main part that I want any listeners to take away is that it starts at such a young age that I was trying to be a pleaser. And you have to teach not just physical boundaries, but those emotional boundaries. Because I think as a child, you know, not... I don't think, I know, you still feel stuff in your gut, Mm -hmm. but to use your voice against an authority, an authority figure, even if it's just your older brother. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, or a male, considering that this whole theme is being born female and what that means and what we understand now about what that meant for you. Right. 
So it goes from that to, to then you're growing up and your value as a female. And now that's been reinforced through the two situations that I've mentioned. Your value as a female is your beauty and your sex. Gosh, and we're still, we're still working so hard on deconstructing that, aren't we? Yes. For all girls. I think it's very difficult because despite what many people want to say, they want to equalize us. Biologically, I am of the belief that we are different. It's okay that we're different and we need to enjoy those differences. Were there injustices that happened? Sure. But I like being a female. I don't want to be a man. (laughs) It kind of sounds like part of what you're saying is enjoying and embracing those differences and maybe not necessarily attaching value to them. That maybe part of where we've gone wrong in this difference between the sexes is that we've attached value to some of those male attributes or just even to the male sex that we, and that we don't attach the same value to girls. Well, I think that that's where the power structure portion comes in. I think it can be very confusing for men these days. Previously, the way the power structure was set up because women, they didn't have their own wealth. They had to marry. So the women were, were the pretty sex providers and family makers and homemakers and the men had the money. You know, that's of course a hundred percent of the time, of course not, but that's was the general structure of things uh, in our society And as time has gone by, especially in the last few generations, it gets very confusing because women are far more educated now. We make our own money. There's plenty of instances where despite the wage gap in some instances, women are making a lot more money. So they don't necessarily need that's why marriages, many marriages used to be, you had, you know, like a transaction. It wasn't about love. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was about survival. Uh-huh. It, you know, countries made allegiances through marriages. Mm-hmm. So it was more of a, a business transaction in many instances. Now it's confusing for people. I think men and women because of that shift. And I believe many women still want, you know, the companionship and the romance and all those things. But men are trying to figure out where do I fit in? And because of that confusion, it's caused splinter groups in an adversarial position. But we made quite a leap there. (laughs) Well, and I was just thinking, wow, I took you on quite a deep dive as you were just trying to that's okay. <laughs> you you know I love deep dives. And but where we just went briefly is is like a subject unto itself. There's mm-hmm. there's so much to cover there. 
if we go back to, you know, the father situation, the brother situation, growing up and your value is your beauty and your sex. And as a female, you've been taught that's what your value is. Even though I was very smart, I did really well in school. To my perception, that's not where my value was. Following along with the things that were said and done to me were things like, you'd be perfect if, fill in the blank. So I had men, now I'm an attractive lady. I wasn't, you know, I was an attractive young lady. And yet men felt it perfectly within their purview, their rights to say to me, Things like this. <laughs> You'd be perfect if you had bigger tits. Mm. You'd be perfect if you lost 10 pounds. No one's ever going to marry you because you're a bitch in the morning. That was from my dad. Um, so there's just like three very quick examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, there's the classic and this hasn't been said to me so much, but I've, I have heard it said to plenty of women or about plenty of women. And that is, wow, she's really good looking for her age. Mm. For her age. So it's a value proposition again. And that goes back to the beauty and the sex. They can't, it couldn't just be said, wow, she's, she's really beautiful. Yeah, I, I'm sure that this is happening for so many women who are listening, but I'm just sitting here right now. Uh, I'm trying to stay with you, but what's also happening for me is my own experiences. I'm coming triggering up. some experiences. Yes. Uh-huh. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure people that listen to this will feel the same way. You know, another really good example would be in the business world. You, you know, women to get further up had to work twice as hard and not get pregnant Mm -hmm. just like one or the other. Mm -hmm. And I can remember one time I had, I had transferred from overseas and I'd gotten a management position and whoever the district manager was wanted to call me and say hello and introduce himself on the phone. And he was asking some questions about my background and I was telling him and he's like, did you really do that? Or you just put that on your resume? This is a question that at that time would not have been asked of a man ever, ever. So it was like he doubted the experience simply because you were female. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He doubted the success level because I was a female. And I said to him, I'm like, well, (laughs) it's all documentable and you're welcome to check it out. (laughs) I mean, what do you say to that? Yeah, what do you what say? Do you politely say to that. So what I'm I'm trying to I hope there are some male listeners that can perhaps be introspective about how they're interacting with their daughters. What are they teaching their daughters? How are they treating their daughters in comparison to the sons? Just reflect on how would you like to be treated? How, you know, as a man, let's say in a young man in the dating world, what would you have done if some gal came up to you 
and said, you know, you're cute. You'd be a lot better to date if. <laughs> yeah. You'd be perfect if you were six inches taller. Or you'd be perfect if you had more muscle. We just, as females, we don't just blurt those things out. There might be something that we think. But in that negotiation thing that we're taught, that's why I think women are, are far more accepting of the flaws. Like so we're not sanctioned to say it in the same way. And not only not sanctioned to say it, although with everything on, you know, the Twittersphere and Instagram and the social media, a lot has changed because people get on their keyboards behind computers and can say the most vile things mm-hmm. that they wouldn't have the guts to say in person. We know that. But it's a vital difference between men and women. And I've often wondered, okay, is part of that genetic? Is it purely societal? If we were given license, would we have been that mean? <laughs> <laughs> would we have thought it our right to walk up to a man, you know, and, and say such things? Mm-hmm. You're really good looking, but you're awfully short, you know, or you're awfully whatever it might be. I just don't think it's your right as another human <laughs> to, to say that to another human. Was sex what you planned on talking about today? Because... I'm thinking, well, what about death? And what about the accident? (laughs) And I've taken you down this road. In some ways, I can intertwine some of those subjects. Sex and and death could be intertwined on, on a certain level. So there is a connection. And again, a bit of context for the listeners. So my father being much older than my mother we all kind of assumed that he would pass first. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is not what happened. Mm. And it was, it was a very sudden thing with my mother and she had, she had gotten ill. She'd had some, they they tried to make some uh, connection to some dental work as a possibility. And a lot of people don't know this, but when you get dental work, like when they cut on your gums and things like that, um, sometimes a certain type of bacteria, bacteria or something. Mm-hmm. And unless you're put on antibiotics to prevent that in the first place, that can be problematic. But It's just crazy that someone can die from an infection because of dental work. So, I mean, that's so hard to well, make that. No, if that was the beginning or not. She was having some ailments like... Um, flu-like symptoms, digestive issues. And she, she goes in to see the doctor and he thinks that she just has some stomach bug for lack of a better word. Um, but he didn't put her on any antibiotics. So, Oh, a good month later, she's having digestive issues. She's having flu-like symptoms she's um, tired all the time. Mm -hmm. So next thing you know, she's got pneumonia and she's in the hospital. And two weeks after that, she was gone. 
Oh my gosh, so fast. So fast. And during that time, they were saying she had ARDS, acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is a part of what the COVID people experience. Just to bring it all current. (laughs) Jeez. So when she passed, she'd been complaining about my dad, you know, some things that he was exhibiting. And at the time, I, I just didn't get it. But of course... After she passes, I'm the one that's living closest by. So as also happens in many families, the females are the ones who do the caregiving. And for those of you who didn't know, caregivers, what's the percentage? Can cut their life short by like 15%. I don't know the statistic. It shortens their lifespan, depending on... I I suppose how stressful it is, how involved it is, and for how long it goes on. Again, not 100% of the time, but the majority of the time, it's the females in the family who end up doing this type of thing. And of course, after time, trying to practice gratefulness, there were things about it that I didn't have to look at him as the man that raised me or that I had problems with anymore. He He was just an old man with dementia. Mm. He had dementia. That's what my mom had been complaining about, things that he would do, like go to the grocery store and even with a list and he couldn't come back. And it was. But she didn't know. I think she was wondering, but perhaps did not want to admit it to herself. I, mm. She never used the word dementia. No. So here I am again. And it, it was a real struggle in the beginning. But. On a human level, not just as a daughter, I, I felt that this was my duty. You know, somebody's got to take care of them. And, of course, now I can go back and say, well, did I? Did he you made, have to? Did I have to? He made his bed. He could have lay in it. That was one sibling's response. But I, I did have to. Because it was part of my journey to now, you know, to later in life be able to reflect on things and have those aha moments of, well, this is, you know, this is why I did many of the things that I did in my life, you know, and responded to people, especially men or authority figures, the way that I did. (laughs) Um, You know, you can connect all the dots. After doing it for several years, I um, was making changes and was moving to Tennessee with my husband. And I had to ask my brother, who at least lived in the same state, dad needs to come to where you are and be in a facility there. Did he agree to that? He did. So other things happened between then as, as far as dad's health. And I was able to visit him a bit. And then I was not there when he passed, which was difficult. I was with him on the phone. Mm. I don't know if you can imagine that. Gosh, I wonder if that's almost worse than not being able to be there at all. Um, I don't know. I can't answer the question. Yeah. Uh, The silence would just be so confusing, you know? Well, I, I couldn't. You know, he wasn't really speaking anymore, but the nurse was on the phone and she, uh, I was talking him through it and cause he was such a fighter all his life. And 
his body was giving out. And I was telling him, I'm like, it's okay, Dad. Everybody's going to be taken care of. It's fine. You don't have to fight anymore. And she said, even though I could speak, when I, when I would speak, he would squeeze her hand. So without, like, being there, being there, that's as good as I could do. And in that respect, I feel like he, you know, he wasn't alone. Yes. When he passed. So how does that tie in with our, our subject? And after the difficult relationship and then having to care for him, you know, as some people are going through this, they might think, oh, well, <laughs> he's gone now. I'll regain some power or something. And there, were, there, were, there was definitely growth at that time and um, lessons learned. It was a gift in a really ugly package. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some things are a gift in a really ugly package. And th- that's one example. And, you know, not his death per se, but having to care for him and go through the difficulty of, you know, there was the dementia, having to deal with the childhood issues <laughs> that were triggered before he was more docile because it had progressed, you know having to find a, a home. He threatened suicide at one point. And your, your dad did. Yes. He used to say things to get attention. And like, you know, when somebody wasn't doing what he wanted, or he might say something like, well, why don't I just blow my brains out? And then, well, we don't have to worry about it anymore. He would say stuff like that. And so he said to me one day, He said something about ending it. And this time he said it a little differently. So I didn't blow it off. And I said, well, how would you do that? And he says, I haven't figured that out yet. Again, the way he said it, I'm like, okay, that's different. This, this is different. And so I told him, I said, all right, well, now I'm really concerned because you're not taking care of yourself properly. And now you are saying you're actively thinking of how to harm yourself. So I'm calling the police. Hey everyone, it's Jen. And as usual, this is a conversation that we have to pause in the interest of time today. So we're gonna stop here at this place where Andrea is talking about the relationship with her father. And we will pick back up um, in this place in the next episode. So please join us for the second installment. I want to thank you for listening in today. When our guests agree to be vulnerable with us and to share from the well of their life experience, one of the best ways that we can acknowledge that kind of courage is to communicate that what has been shared has fallen on ready ears and a heart that is open. So if there was something that struck a chord today, please interact with the posts on social media that are related to this episode so that you can let that storyteller know about the impact that he or she had on you. If you haven't connected with us already on one of these platforms, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram under the handle All I Know Podcast. 
please remember that the ideas, opinions, and views shared today belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find fuel for working with in their own lives from every episode, it should be noted that this podcast is not a therapeutic intervention and it's not a substitute for advice or counsel from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, which is a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado, and our team works primarily with children and their families that have been impacted by developmental or early childhood trauma, and we specialize in adoption and foster care issues. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you're interested in developing a relationship as a sponsor for this project, or if you're interested in being a guest and one of our storytellers on All I Know, you can reach us at know at inwardboundco.com. And I give that to you one more time. All I know at inwardboundco.com. And you'll never miss an episode if you visit the website so that you can subscribe or follow the show through your preferred streaming platform. And the way to find us on the web is to go to allIKnow.podient.co. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us at the show reminding you, catch all the light you can. <laughs>